So I, I had a sermon last week that had some um, pushback. I get those occasionally. I don't feel like I'm preaching well if I don't get those. So uh, one of the things I was arguing, and I think this bears up in the history of Israel, is that prophets are very rare occurrences. There aren't very many prophets. Now, the Bible looks to be full of prophets. It looks like there were prophets around every corner, but those stories in the scriptures are centralized around very short and intermittent epics in the history of Israel. The Christian scriptures cover a huge distance, but they're written over the course of 1,100 years. So the truth of prophets is that they don't come very often. So one of the things I was observing is that God only selectively speaks, and we need to be very careful when we hear someone claim to have a word from God, because that is rare. God is careful. And that has positive, I I think when I didn't get pushback from it, I got support with that idea with folks who recognized that the claims made by Joseph Smith when he started the Mormon religion were that God came to him and gave him a word through the angel Gabriel, and he wrote it down. And he went by the angel's command and found tablets that don't exist anymore because they were taken up into heaven, and he was able to translate them by the power of God, and now we have the Book of Mormon. That's his claim. How do we know as Christians he's not telling the truth? If God just speaks all the time. Charles Taisy Russell made similar claims that God had spoken to him and told him when Jesus was going to return, ended up being wrong three times, and then God gave him a new vision that he had returned spiritually the first prophecy, and they had just missed it. How do we know? I remember Oral Roberts um, in, the, in the, I think it was the early 90s, might have been the late 80s, a claim that uh, if, if he wasn't able to raise a million dollars, God was going to take him away. And he was sure of that. God had told him. He didn't raise the million dollars, to my knowledge. He was not taken away, at least not then. So how do we know? I mean, it's easy to, to just assume that all these folks are, are intentionally deceiving people. But that's not always the case. Some really do earnestly believe that they're hearing from the Lord. So how, how do we know? That a voice is God's voice. And that's sort of what I want to talk about tonight. And I don't have a very good answer for that. We don't always know. I think if I have one theme of the whole discussion, we don't always know. But how can we test the spirits to see if they're from God? I was not trying to argue that God doesn't speak. I was not trying to argue that God has been silent since the end of the apostolic era when the last of the apostles died. I was not trying to argue that those senses that we get oftentimes, which we associate with the Holy Spirit and we feel God pressing something on us, I was not trying to argue that that's not the Lord. What I was trying to say is that there's something different about prophets than those experiences. And I wrestled with this. I wrestled with it in seminary uh, with many pastors who just assume when Isaiah said, the Lord said to me, what Isaiah meant was he was just, he felt something, heard a little voice in his head, and just assumed it was God. But that is not the testimony of the First Testament. The testimony is that when those prophets spoke, they were directly communicated with by God, either through an angel, which is most often what happens, or through the voice of God himself, or being swept up into heaven and having a vision in which God makes a call of them. We see it in Jeremiah, we see it in Ezekiel, we see it in Isaiah. Matter of fact, even the Apostle Paul claims to have had that kind of experience in 2 Corinthians, 
So their experiences are not those of, of praying and working through the scriptures and having a feeling from God and then interpreting that feeling and having a belief that this, that's just not what the Jews believe prophets were. And so when I say that God rarely speaks through prophets, that John the Baptist was a surprise, that's what I'm talking about. Those kinds of prophets are rare. And they happen. I'm sure they've happened since the close of Scripture. But we can never be certain. And the Jewish people were never certain. Isaiah wasn't known as a prophet in his own day. He was afterwards, after they sawed him in half, according to Jewish tradition. He was running from them. They were trying to kill him. He hid in a hollow tree. And Jewish tradition says they sawed the tree in half and killed him. And uh, it, that's in Hebrews. It says some of the prophets were sawed in half. It seems to be a reference to Isaiah. Jeremiah was thrown in a cistern as a false prophet. They didn't much like what he had to say. Ezekiel looked like a lunatic. They probably thought he was demon-possessed. He shaved all the hair on his body, threw it around the city, laid up on a hill naked. I mean, he, he must have looked like a crazy person. It was only afterwards when those prophets' prophecies came true that the Israelite people looked back and recognized what they were and who they were. So it's hard to tell. It was even hard for Israel to tell who the true prophets were and who the false prophets were. And if the history of Israel tells us anything, it tells us that most of the time, the people that the Israelites thought were the good prophets were the ones who were saying good and positive things to them, encouraging things. And almost always they turned out to be false prophets. But they were much more successful. And so when I'm talking about being careful when someone says, the Lord gave me a word and I want to share it with you. This is the, the context out of which I'm speaking. So how does God speak to us? Well, that's the trick, right? All we have are the examples and testimonies of the apostles in the New Testament to help us to see what in the world this speaking of God to us looks like in our era. And most of the time, it seems to come as an impression through the Holy Spirit. Now, the Holy Spirit's presence in our life does a lot of things. It empo he empowers us, He convicts us, He challenges us. The Holy Spirit also, Paul says in Romans 8, helps us to communicate with God with words that we don't have. Sort of when we can only throw emotion up to heaven, the Holy Spirit sort of reads what we're trying to communicate, and He communicates that with God according to Paul. So the Holy Spirit is essential to our life. He empowers us for mission, and He does communicate with us. But the Holy Spirit is not the Word of God exactly. He's, he's, he communicates with us emotionally. He communicates with us through our hearts, through the Word of God. And that is a very subjective experience. And so what we see Paul, and well, how are we going to get to Acts? Believe me, we'll get to Acts. But in 1 Corinthians, when Paul is trying to deal with this, because the Corinthian Christians loved, loved the dynamic stuff. I mean, they were a people who sought after tongues and healings and prophecies. And that's just the stuff that made, worth getting, it made getting together worth it for them. And they were so pumped with that stuff that it started to cause divisions. And Paul wrote the entire letter of 1 Corinthians to try and get that church under control. And when he spoke about these issues, Paul told them to not just assume that every claim of a word from God was truly from God. He told them to test the spirits, to test the winds, to test the inspirations, to see if they were from God. 
And we don't have to read very far in Paul to recognize that the way to test them for Paul was to compare what was being said to what Paul taught. And so today we have a New Testament, which the early church did not have. And we're able to evaluate what God, we think God is saying to us by what God has said to them. We have an Old and a New Testament. And so part of this discernment to know whether we've really heard from God is a willingness to be immersed in the Scriptures. And not just there. We're also told that the Holy Spirit is with us when we gather together in a community. So a combination of our study of Scripture, bringing what we think is a word from God to a community that we're opening ourselves to be critiqued and evaluated to see if what we think is coming from God really is. This is the the life and dynamic of the church. Put simply, there's no way to know if God has spoken to you personally in the New Testament until you gather corporately. So God speaks to us privately, but that private communication needs to be evaluated in a community. And so, does God speak? Yes, He does. But the way in which we discern whether what we're hearing is just what we want to hear, just the voice in our head uh, affirming what we'd like to believe, or whether it really is a word from God, has to be brought to all these places, to the Word, to the community. And then through that, we begin to get a sense of whether or not God has spoken to us. That's what Paul's encouraging in Corinthians. And here's the thing. This is why we're in Acts. It's why I pointed us here. Even when God speaks authentically to us and we know that He is speaking, we can misinterpret what He says. Now, we might like to believe that if the Holy Spirit is speaking to us, we can't possibly misunderstand. How could He possibly allow us to misunderstand? When the Holy Spirit comes on us, shouldn't we suddenly become infallible prophets of God? I mean, how could, how could the communication even mean anything if we're not told exactly what it means? Well, that's what's so interesting about this story that I, I shared with you, with Stephen. Stephen is a man said to be filled with the Holy Spirit. He's a man who is full of God's grace and power, and he's able to do great wonders and miraculous signs. And Jesus promised his disciples that when they found themselves before governors and rulers, that his spirit would teach them what to say, that they wouldn't have to worry about what to say, but his spirit would teach them what to say in those moments. You remember those passages in John? Well, we would expect then, right, if Stephen is a man full of the Holy Spirit, and he's being brought before governors, that what he says in this passage would be inspired by the Holy Spirit and therefore without error, right? We would be wrong. Stephen disagrees in fundamental ways with the Old Testament in his testimony. I'll give you just a few points. First, he says that God appeared to Abraham while he was still in Mesopotamia before he lived in Haran and told him to leave your country and your people. In the book of Genesis, Hebrew, Greek, and every other version that we have, God comes to Abraham when he's in Haran and gives those words. It's his father who moves them from Ur. So is Stephen being inspired by the Holy Spirit to correct the book of Genesis and all the traditions of Israel? Or has he forgotten the chronology? And we go on. I love that Luke didn't fix this, because Luke certainly had access to a Bible. Now, 
there are other places we could go. That's one big one that glares. But in verse 9, as he begins talking about Joseph and Egypt, and then we move down to verse 16, he says that Jacob and his sons were all taken back to the Holy Land and buried in the town of Shechem. That disagrees with Genesis 2. Genesis says that some of, of, of Jacob's children were buried in Hebron at another little piece of land, and that some of them were buried in Shechem. So they weren't all buried in the same place, according to Genesis, in any version that we have. Yet Stephen says they were all buried in Shechem. He also earlier said that Abraham had no land. God didn't give him a foot of ground, do you remember? Yet he, God actually gave him two burial sites. One was the Shechem one, and the other one was Hebron. So what's going on with Stephen? He's full of the Holy Spirit. He's defending himself. Why is he in error? But see, that's the complication. Stephen is not an apostle. He is not a prophet. He is a Christian, filled with the Holy Spirit, but limited by what he knows. Now, he is, does a wonderful job, a phenomenal job of summarizing um, the history of Israel, and I think that's why Luke is so apt to record this speech. I'm sure there were lots of martyrs with lots of speeches, but he puts this one on front and center. But Stephen is a human. So were the apostles, so were the prophets, but in very different ways. These people were grabbed by the Holy Spirit of God to speak a word that needed to resonate for all time. Their accuracy was much more important. But here Stephen, in the heat of the moment, taken before the Sanhedrin, a regular Christian, filled with the Holy Spirit, passionate for God, he gives a long speech, and in the course of that speech, he makes about six or seven errors. What are we to learn from that? Being filled with the Holy Spirit does not make us inerrant. Thinking that we've understood what God means to say to us does not mean that we have. Even those filled with the Spirit make errors. They make mistakes. God can recall and remind us of the things we've learned, but it's rare that He informs us of things we never bothered to study. So that in the heat of the moment, we would know all these things that we never would have had any right to know because we never had bothered with them before. Stephen is limited by what he has studied and what he knows. And so he has errors. But in the end, the thrust of his argument is inspired by God. He makes a very forceful argument, so forceful, in fact, that they get it and they kill him. And Saul was there, who ends up being Paul. So what I want to encourage you with is, is I, I want you to have the sense that God through His Holy Spirit, is He is always communicating with us, not every moment, but He does. But we should never assume that we in and of ourselves are adequate to the task to know what He means to say to us. Sometimes we have to bring that to others and allow the sharpening, iron sharpens iron, you remember the quote from Proverbs, the sharpening of the community of God to come and to help us to evaluate what God might be saying. How many times have you heard somebody testify and they've interpreted their experience in one way? My grandmother used to do this all the time and because we'd have these services and we'd share testimonies and then we'd go out to dinner to Papa Gino's afterwards. And she would say, um, well, I like that testimony. I think she was wrong, though. I think God was saying. And she would say what she thought God would say. You've done that, right? You've done that. Well, of course you have. Like we're intended to come together. It says where two or three are gathered together. 
There I am in the midst. And that context was in the context of loosing and binding. Do you remember the story? Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bind in, bound in heaven. Where two or three are gathered together, there I am in their midst. That's rabbinic speak. Loosing and binding is this idea of interpreting and applying the text of Scripture. That's, how they, that's what they said, loosing and binding. What of the scriptures is to be released? What is to be bound? What applies to this situation? What applies to that? That's rabbi speak. And so Jesus is sort of saying to his people, if you want to rightly interpret the scriptures, gather together. It's where two or three are gathered that I'm going to speak. So we read our Bibles devotionally and personally, not to hear from God and understand it, but to prepare ourselves for community. So we come with things to share. So we come with questions to ask. Personal devotions is preparation for community conversation. And we have got to get this, church, because the arrogance with which an individual can think that they have the will of God and word of God behind them is the most dangerous thing in the history of our world. And so I hope that you'll, you'll get a sense that a true prophet who can't be questioned is rare, rare. Matter of fact, I suspect we won't see another one quite like that until Jesus returns, based on how I read the New Testament. I could be wrong about that, but I suspect that we're not going to see another one like that. That's rare. But God still speaks, and words of prophecy are given to the church, but they're given so that they can be brought to the church, and the church can feel and read out and study out what the word is saying to them. We're never given something just for us. We're given what we're given for us. And so this is the challenge that I want to leave you with tonight as we think about what does it mean for God to speak to us. The us must always be plural. The us must always be plural. He speaks to me so that I can share with you. And then you have to decide whether what I'm saying fits with the text of Scripture and resonates with the Holy Spirit as you hear it. So my sermon is only as authoritative as your deliberations as a community determine it to be. And it's not just the, prof, the pastor who does this, but each of you. We're doing a study on Genesis. When those who come, my hope is that they're reading in advance. Now, that's not typically what we do, uh, you know, as a practice in the United States. So people aren't quite ready for that, but they're getting the sense. They know where we are the next week, and some read ahead, and they come with questions. And that's the point. Some even feel conviction, and, and nobody's ever been this transparent. I'm hoping it happens one day. Or somebody comes to that Bible study and says, you know, I was reading Genesis chapter 4, and I felt like that book was knocking me around because I really don't, I'm not living this way. Do you really think it means this? And maybe the community will say, no, 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 you're overreading that. I don't think it does. But on other times, you might say, yeah, it definitely means that. Why? Do we need to pray for you? Like that might be this opportunity for the Lord to speak. But we need to start thinking that what God is trying to do is bring us together. Even in the private things he says to us, to bring us together. So that's my, my challenge, I guess, from the word. I hope you're encouraged that Stephen was uh, wrong about some things. Didn't change the truthfulness of his message. And I'm not saying the scriptures are like that. I think the prophets and apostles are a category apart. And I'd encourage you to never put yourself specifically in their shoes. Otherwise, We'll soon have the book of First Winston or Second Dave. You wrote a first one, didn't you, Dave? No. <laughs>
But we understand that we're not, we're not called the way they are, inspired the way they are. But we need to live like that's true. We need to speak like that's true. We need to confront other people like that's true. We can be as wrong in our bones as we feel right in our hearts. You know? And the community can help us to see it if we have the courage to bring those thoughts and those words of God to the community. That's my challenge.